When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Sporting Goss with Tim Gossage. Hello everyone and welcome to Sporting Goss. On this Tuesday morning, it's crisp. It's 10 degrees, but it is blue sky. If you're listening to us, thank you. Thank you for choosing SENWA, SEN Spirit 621. Of course, 131255 is our number or a text away 0487 736 Get in touch with us any time you like. The AFL should have a team out of Tasmania. Now, it's not going to happen this year, next year, or possibly inside the next three years. But there has to be a genuine plan. We know there is a working committee trying to pull it together. But we had this discussion on Gillian Goss yesterday about whether it should be out of Darwin, what should happen with the Gold Coast, or should it be out of Tasmania. Simple fact is it's got to be an even competition and we need a team in Tassie. North Melbourne's not going to move there. No one barracks for them down in Tassie. Essendon brought back the spirit of football. They had a huge following here in their games in WA. The massive support for the Dreamtime game. The huge support when they beat the West Coast Eagles. Essendon are a big drawing crowd. And not that Essendon's ever going to move to Tassie, but one thing's for sure, when you have a big quality club like an Essendon or some homegrown stars, people will come. People will watch. Build the stadium, prepare the plan, and just get Tassie into the competition. How good would it be? The negativity around the Gold Coast, and I'm an unabashed Gold Coast fan. Believe it or not, this is going to sound really stupid, but I'm known to say some stupid things. The most stupid thing about the Gold Coast Suns is their poor outfit. Red shorts, red jumper, yellow Gold Coast. It's meek. The whole thing looks meek. Toughen up. Make them look tougher for a start. I know it doesn't change whether you get kicks, marks, handballs or goals, but I think red. it looks like a junior footy club and there are some bona fide stars. They look better in their white or they look better in their blue. Find another colour for one thing. Start at the grassroots. You've got the basic players. Just do something. I'm not clamouring my way to a an AFL store or a team store to buy a Gold Coast outfit. It looks meek. But that aside, whether they survive or not, let's stick with Tassie. Let's get Tassie in. If you heard last night Tony Cochran talking about it and his antiness towards Tassie, you only had to look at the reaction that, of course, Nick Revolt gave him. Nick Revolt was at times furious on the couch. Of course, Nick Revolt is a part of that committee that is trying to draw a team down into the Apple Isle. And he was genuinely 
passionate about it. Well, let's talk. Let's hear from what happened on the couch last night. This is oh, sorry. Let's talk. Now let's go. We we saw enough of that. We'll go with that in a moment. Let's go to footy classified in regards to Tassie last night. This is how it played out. Craig Hutchison was a part of it as well. Matthew Lloyd was there. And also, of course, Caroline Wilson. Have a listen to the conversation about Tassie going forward. It was eye-popping to see the Essendon fans go on scale to Launceston. Yep. 14,500 there on the weekend. And they've and it was emotional. It was quite a, a, sea, a sea of bombers on the highway up from Hobart. There were reports all over the island. What does this tell us about the state of footy in Tassie and North Melbourne in particular? Well, it tells us that um, North Melbourne do not... Tasmania do not want North Melbourne. North Melbourne have told the AFL they are not going to Tasmania. Tasmanian football fans have voted with their feet. The scenario down in Hobart on the weekend was that they could barely improve the crowd from last week's woeful 3,500. I think 5,000 turned up for the uh, Brisbane game against North Melbourne. Not helped by the fact that two weeks ago... And this weekend, by the way, the Suns looms as the biggest... Again. problem in the history of Tassie. How, how do the people of Hobart feel that they're copying these games against a side North Melbourne who they feel has done nothing, nothing to ingratiate themselves into the community? This is what the CEO, Ben Amafio, wrote to Tasmanian fans the week before, Craig, the GWS game. He's basically saying that it, while it won't be the major factor, surely a significant proof of public support, a point to support um, the case for Tasmanian fans is voting with their feet and packing out AFL matches held in their own backyards. Vaguely threatening, in my view, and not did not go down well with Tasmanian fans at all. I've heard Matthew Richardson on this subject, and yet you look at the, what happened in Launceston, clearly Hawthorne are far more popular than North Melbourne, but, look, the Colin Carter review is now three or four clearly weeks away. Clearly, are more popular than Hawthorne, mm. by the looks of it. Yeah. Well, they were on the weekend. Yeah. Three or four weeks will come the Colin Carter review. I really hope he suggests that Tasmania deserve their own side and not a relocated side. I fear that that is where the AFL is going. I think it's wrong. A 19th team is not the end of the world, even if we have an uneven number of teams. For one thing, we'd get rid of these dreadful mid-season buy-rounds that I know, Kane, you loathe. Five games a week. I mean, mm. this week was bookended by two great games, but three shockers in the middle and nothing else to look forward to. You could... Every team, Craig, and you've spoken about this, every side could have a buy every week and you have nine games a weekend. Where's, where's it going? Yeah, eight games a weekend. Where, I know we were going to move on, Hutch, but where yeah. do you think in, in no, reality... No, you have nine games a weekend and every the 19th team gets a buy. Yeah, I'll, I think there's an argument to give everyone uh, uh, three teams a buy around and, and uh, sift the competition out a little bit further, but the, a few different models. So that was the conversation last night with Caroline Wilson, Hutchie, Craig Hutchison and, of course, Matthew Lloyd. Let's turn our attention to Tony Cochran. He is the president of the Gold Coast Football Club. Now, they've been in the system for 11 years. Many believed a month ago they'd turn the corner and were going to be competitive. In the last three weeks, they've been, or last two weeks in particular, they've been nothing short of terrible. Tony Cochran had this to say in the situation being a bit anti about another team coming into the AFL through Tassie. Let's address the elephant in the room, shall we? Um, Firstly, if you actually listen to my commentary, it's not aimed at Tasmania. My commentary is, and I'm living proof of it, I'll open up my books, Brownie, you can come up and have a look. The AFL as an industry cannot afford a 19th franchise. I don't care whether that franchise is in Timbuktu, Talem Bend or Tasmania. That is my point. We're right at this point in time, 
we've got, I think, 12 of the 18 clubs have uh, significant loans, are significantly in overdraft, or whatever financial uh, cover you want to put on it. So I do not believe that we're in a position at the moment to expand the competition. It's as simple as that. I love the crowd in Tasmania yesterday. I used to take V8s there every year. I know Tasmania very well. Essendon have a massive supporter base right across Australia. Well, we've got Essendon in six weeks' time at Metricon. There'll be a massive crowd. Why? Because the Essendon supporters come out in droves. And good luck to them. They're a very successful club with massive supporter base. I'm jealous. I love it. <laughs> 11 after 10, and that's Tony Cochran last night. Well, having sort of having his cake and eating it too. He doesn't want the team to come in, but clearly the pressure's on the Gold Coast. Clearly they're not going to move North Melbourne. Caroline Wilson has no issues with 19 teams, and they may have an argument right there with that mid-season buy. It would minimise all clubs, and I think we've just come through that horrible patch where your team's not playing and we all have withdrawal systems. Uh, Symptoms, don't we, when our teams are not playing? What do you think? Let us know. 0487 736 736. Team in Tassie. Very simple question. And if you do text us, 0487 736 736. Tell us who you are and where you're listening to, either on the app or on SEN Spirit 621, of course, or wherever you are, please let us know. Team from Tassie, do you want it? Let us know. 0487 736 I'm going to play you now Stephen A. Smith. So he is a very harsh, full frontal critic of sport, NBA in particular, in the States. He takes no prisoners. He calls it how he sees it. And this I would describe as nothing short of brutal. I know the answer to whether or not Ben Simmons is a championship point guard. And I think Doc Rivers knows it too. The answer is very simple. Hell no! Not in Philly at least. Because Ben Simmons' days in Philadelphia are officially over. I'm here to tell y'all that right now. I don't mean just in the Sixers uniform. I mean that Ben Simmons should not risk even being seen in the city this offseason. Trust me on this. I worked in Philadelphia for 17 years. Not at a restaurant. Not getting gas. Just go. Go to L.A. Go to Australia, anywhere that isn't Philadelphia. Again, I worked in that city for 17 years of my career. And that town will not get over this. And they shouldn't either, to be honest with you. That is Stephen A. Smith. And we're going to play that again to Andrew Gaze, who's going to join us after the break. One of the most respected sportsmen this country has ever produced. And he is about to hear... Stephen A. Smith. He tells me he hasn't heard those comments. He's read about them, but hasn't heard them word for word. The real Stephen A. Smith. He has a show, of course, and is often on ESPN. He's got almost five and a half million followers on Twitter. And he follows 13 people. You know, he follows 13 people on Twitter, Stephen A. Smith. Who does Stephen A. Smith follow on Twitter? Let's have a look here. I know he's got five and a half million followers, but anyway, we'll find out who he does follow shortly. Uh, no, they're not going to let us know. We've got to uh, get to that in a moment. But what I will say is that is pretty bold opinion. Also, Joel Embiid, of course, teammate of Ben Simmons and Doc Rivers. We'll get a breakaway. We'll come back. Andrew Gaze will join us after the break, and he will hear those comments about Ben Simmons made by the real Stephen A. Smith. 
Let us know. 0487 736 736. A team from Tassie, yay or nay in the AFL? Do you want one? This is the Sporting Goss. I know the answer to whether or not Ben Simmons is a championship point guard, and I think Doc Rivers knows it too. The answer is very simple. Hell no. Not in Philly, at least, because Ben Simmons' days in Philadelphia are officially over. I'm here to tell y'all that right now. I don't mean just in the Sixers uniform. I mean that Ben Simmons should not risk even being seen in the city this offseason. Trust me on this. I worked in Philadelphia for 17 years. Not at a restaurant. Not getting gas. Just go. Go to L.A. Go to Australia. Anywhere that isn't Philadelphia. Again, I worked in that city for 17 years of my career. And that town will not get over this. And they shouldn't either, to be honest with you. Stephen A. Smith, uh, sporting critic, basketball critic, uh, probably a rich man's version of Corey Homicide Williams. But I don't even think Corey Homicide Williams would have spoken like that. One man who's just heard that for the very first time is Andrew Gaze, basketball legend. Uh, what do you make of all of that as we welcome you to the show? Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning, Gosh. Yeah, it's um, it's disappointing, isn't it? And it's, uh, it's it's the way of the world these days in that a lot of people, that's probably more about Stephen A. Smith than it is about Ben, ben Simmons. And as such, uh, this young man who's gone out there and given his absolute very best and come up short has to deal with this vitriol. And it's it's... It's sad. It's sad. We see it with Ben Simmons, and and what's even more concerning is he's probably right. What Ben would have to deal with, with the feedback and the way in which um, citizens, when you're walking down the street, would respond to him, is um, is really sad that 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 people uh, re- respond that way to a, a subpar sporting performance. How would Ben Simmons be feeling? right now and we're hearing reports that he doesn't want to go or won't be going to Tokyo which is really bad news because I think Australia has always supported Ben but unfortunately I think we might be, he might be running out of lives even in Australia for the fact is that he might not be going because he wants to work on his craft rather than play for Australia. You know the family. You played with his dad. Are you surprised to hear that speculation? Yeah, well I think that it's very difficult because you and I can make a judgment about what Ben Simmons is going through, but until you're actually in it and you're experiencing it, uh, I think it's very difficult to make that assessment. As much bravado and self-confidence that anyone can have with what he's dealing with right now, sometimes uh, it's very difficult to process. It's in the heat of the moment. It's very raw. And I think that that, uh, hopefully he just gives it a little time to digest it all and uh, and make a more objective judgment because right now I think that that would be very difficult to do with just the constant scrutiny. He can't turn on the television set. He can't pick up his phone. There's not much that he can do right now in Philadelphia that can escape the scrutiny that he's had to, to, to go through. So um, my, I personally think that a, a way out of that and a way to eradicate those thoughts is to get back on that horse as quick as you possibly can and no better environment to do that, no safer environment to do that 
than with the Australian Olympic team and the Boomers. Yeah, 100%. To, to play with other Aussies, all there for a united cause, with no corporate connection, just go and play the game, do what you do best, and play with your mates, and that's what it is. And and who needs enemies when you've got teammates like Joel Embiid? I mean, his comments after... I mean, I know he was trying to find a way of saying it nicely. We all saw what happened, but at the same time is, there's a time and a place to be critical of a teammate, isn't there not? Man, uh, I'll be honest. Um, I thought the turning point was, uh, I don't know how to say it, um, but I thought the turning point was just, you know, we had uh, an open shot and, you know, we missed, uh, we made one free throw and uh, we missed the other and then they came down and scored uh, and uh, we didn't get a good pos- uh, possession. They're 100% and I think both his and Doc Rivers' comments, if they had their time again, particularly for Ben's sake, that that's not the forum to be sharing uh, an explanation for uh, why they came up short. And I, I think that for him, we make a judgment about the relationship they have. And, and given the narrative that people are trying to create now around Ben, it can be taken out of context. That they have been, particularly with Joel Embiid, that they have played together for a long period of time. And it might be something that, because of that relationship, uh, the, 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 a different context is given to Joel Embiid's comments. Notwithstanding that, I still don't think it's appropriate, but it may not have the same type of impact to Ben that we all assume that it would have. Mm. So there's, there's always going to be other explanations out there, but on the, the face value of it all, it's disappointing when you're, uh, the, the blowtorch is being put on you I like that. And it's one of the reasons why most coaches and players, uh, you generally like to let the heat of the game go out before you get in front of the camera and have to speak. That luxury is not given to NBA players because they have obligations to be available immediately after the game. And sometimes those comments are said in the heat of battle, which don't necessarily reflect or are put in a context that that, uh, explains what you're trying to articulate. Interesting. I'm looking online this morning, Gaze. Andrew Gaze, our guest on Sporting Goss, and we're talking all things basketball. We'll get to the NBL in a brief moment. If he was in my locker room, I would have knocked his ass out, says Shaquille O'Neal on television. Then there's a poster, missing person, Ben Simmons, can't shoot a free throw, last seen game three, round two, aren't but not dangerous. Is it as scathing as I'm reading? Is it as really as bad as I'm seeing? And is this new because we're seeing the attack of one of our own, an Australian Ben Simmons, or does this go on all the time with other players in the States? I think it's abhorrent. It's it's hurtful to even hear you uh, saying that. And yesterday when I was, and I'm not huge on social media, so I don't know how to hunt out all the, um, the comments, but I saw enough to say this is sickening yeah. The way in which uh, an opinion is being put forward and people are, uh, are saying these horrifically bad things about an individual because he, he had a, a subpar performance on a sporting field. And unfortunately, it is becoming uh, more common. And, and even more concerning is I think we're starting to see a lot of that, those types of responses here in Australia. I don't think um, we... Uh, maybe it might have just to do with the volume of people, but uh, I don't think we're quite as bad as what we're seeing with Ben 
as it is in the United States or other par parts of the world. But unfortunately, it is becoming a significant issue and we're already seeing it with Australian athletes and the, um, the pressure that they're putting on them. And more importantly, the mental health issues that are arising with elite sports people because of uh, social media and, and these types of responses that go to a, a, a subpar performance despite someone doing as well as they're possibly trying to do. They're not going out there to try and um, put in a bad performance, but the nature of sport that that's going to happen from time to time. And uh, unfortunately, the athlete has to deal with stuff that perhaps in years gone by that they never had to use deal with in the past. Well, Ben Simmons is still contracted to Philadelphia until 2025. In that time, a $180 million contract is his. Does he have to clean himself, dust himself off and move? And, and everyone's talking very strongly about maybe getting under that sort of team-first culture led by Greg Popovich, San Antonio. Yeah, I think so. I think that you don't really know. There's so many variables that come in, the economics of it all, the contracts, draft picks. There's a whole bunch of things that owners and general managers have to deal with. And they'll go through that analysis and eventually they might come back to the, the um, situation. They, they have a rare talent. They have an NBA all-star. They have the, an elite, uber-elite defensive player, a 6'10 guy that can run a team and play the point guard spot. Uh, yeah, there's pros and cons to every player and, and his three-point shooting is something that he's never going to be elite at. But if he was able to just fix up his free throw shooting, which is very achievable in a short period of time, they may come to a judgment that, um, that they can persevere and that they can um, still be considered an NBA championship winning team with being in that role. I think many other executives would. So I don't think it's a fait accompli that he's going to be moved on. We've seen some unbelievable breakdowns with relationships in teams that are able to be reconciled for the better of the team. And, and, and as toxic as it is right now, I don't think that we've seen anything that, that you can't reconcile. It's whether or not the, the, the marketing and those other peripheral things uh, lead to a position where they feel like they, 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 need, they need to move it on. But it takes a huge, huge character and uh, an incredible resilience to deal with what Ben's been going through right now but he's had to deal with this since the age of 15 or 16 all eyes have been on him for a long long period of time and hopefully he's not getting worn down by it and that's one of the reasons why we get back to what we spoke about before how i think a, a circuit breaker in all this can be with what goes on uh with the olympics and joining the olympic team and and being a part of that environment with brian gorgian and Paddy Mills, Joe Ingalls, Aaron Baines, those guys that are living and breathing the NBA uh, each day to, to wrap their arms around him and help him through that process, so I think would be fantastic. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope that when the dust settles and he gets some clear air over the next day or two that he and Gorgian or his dad Dave can all have a conversation about where to next for him because I think in the heat of battle of the Olympics with uh, wearing different colours and amongst different groups, that will probably be the best way of shaking off those cobwebs that unfortunately have been stuck to him since that NBA series. Now, just quickly, 2-0 uh, down the Wildcats and, well, they can barely put a 
squad together, let alone a starting five together. Yeah. They are. I mean, could could you think of any worse timing for a bunch of injuries to a key lot of players in a grand final in the NBL? It is extraordinary, but I think that if you're a Perth Wildcats fan, you should be uh, so proud of what the team's been able to do. Now, I know they've come up short, but the adversity they've had to deal with the playing personnel uh, has been impossible, really, to to overcome. But yet, they're still able to play away and, and represent the city and play the game to a level that has given them a chance in both those games when really uh, they shouldn't. And I think that when you're a fan of a team, you can uh, often identify circumstances where you can walk away knowing that your team has done absolutely everything within their power to give themselves the best chance for success. And I think that the Perth Wildcats have done that and demonstrated that in those first two games because... They've been down players, but still uh, been incredibly competitive against an almighty Melbourne United team that are playing their best basketball at the right time of the year. And, um, uh, you know, I I can't speak more highly of what Trevor Gleeson and his staff have been able to do, and the players, of course, uh, in this series, because it's been admirable the way in which they've played. I've watched uh, Trevor Gleeson in the timeouts, and I think he's coaching like a coach who knows they can't win with their personnel. And he's just a lot more calmer about it. Normally, I mean, I know he gets angry and he's passionate, but I'm seeing a very measured Trevor Gleeson, knowing that it's going to take a huge, huge effort, a super Herculean effort to even, you know, to get the win at any stage against uh, Melbourne United. Uh, hats off to him. I think this could be the making of him, even in, in a, even in a year that he's been judged the coach of the year. Yeah, well, he's won five titles, and I don't think he's been given the recognition and the status that he deserves for what he's been able to do. Everyone thinks that it's a privileged environment over there. They've got the resources and all that is true, but they've had to build that. And he, this year, you can see with the strategies and the way he's had to deal with this, this adversity. The reason why I think that you're not seeing those emotional outbursts that, that often are there strategically Yeah. The reason he's not doing that is because he's asked the guys to play a certain way to give the team the best chance to win. He's had to slow the game down. He's had to make it into a grind and sometimes make the game ugly and go not completely against the instincts of the players, but but put in place something that requires a conscious effort in order to do. And they, although it hasn't always been successful, they are clearly responding to that and trying to follow those instructions. So that is the reason why I think you don't see him carrying on like a pork chop, um, because they are, um, from outside looking in, doing it and doing it really well. They're never going to blow Melbourne United out of the water. They're never going to win a game by 20. They have to keep the game in the 70s and hope to eke out some way, eke out a, a close, narrow win and they're playing a style of basketball that gives them uh, the very best chance to do that. You're a legend. Appreciate our chat today. Thanks for joining us. Anytime, mate. Love it. Good on you, mate. There's Gazy, Andrew Gaze, best in the business, and that is a rational, measured opinion on all things basketball. Ben Simmons, the Wildcats, and the NBL Grand Final Series. Great to have a chat. He has joined us on Sporting Goss.
Good on you, April. April Austin in the newsroom at 24 away from 11. Apologise for those who are hanging on getting to the 10.30 news, but we thought Daisy was on a bit of a roll. We asked a question earlier today. Uh, also, just on the text, and thank you very much. This is from Brian in Coburn. How will Ben feel? Well, he'll sit back in his mansion with his supermodel girlfriend, retire if need be, but hey, if he doesn't play for Australia, he's dead to me. Hosh. There. Um, link on the Twitter. Ask Kwame Brown. I don't know who Kwame Brown is, but apparently it's a name. Do you know who Kwame Brown is? No. Uh, what he thinks of Stephen A. Smith. Bloke just screams at things. He's a knob. Well, that's a bit harsh. But anyway, uh, if you have an opinion on Stephen A. Smith and his comments about Ben Simmons, let us know. We also put it out there this morning on 0487 736 736. Do you want to get a team from Tasmania into the AFL? 0487 736 736 is the number or 131255 if you want to give us a call. Plenty of people say yes. Some say yes, but not yet. And some say they've been spruiking this for 50 years. How about we let go of it? We've tried to get it going. It's just not happening. Well, one group who thinks there should be a team from Tassie is our good mates at Westy and the Benchwarmers, a WA band who pull together some pretty grungy-looking songs and sounding songs. Well, they have produced, the boys down in the south, hopefully they didn't get washed away with that huge storm that got through there over the last 24 hours. Westy and the Benchwarmers is the name of the band. It's not often we play full songs here on SEN, in particular here on Sporting Goss. But this is a tribute to getting a team into Tassie. Westy and the Benchwarmers, right here in Western Australia, it's about time Tassie had its own team. Rewalt, Richo, Bordock, Lynch and Hart Had to cross that straight just to make their mark Tell you what, AFL is not gonna happen no more We're from Tasmania and we're busting down the door It's about time, Tassie had its own dream
on Sporting Goss. It's time for Useless AFL Stats. Ah, we love that music on a Tuesday. It's time for Useless AFL Stats with Aaron Delaport. Della, straight into it. Very popular segment. Could be a long one today. Let's talk about the Cats getting home with Gary Rowan after the siren. Yeah, big game. Friday night. Um, but... What I noticed was, um, as Joel Selwood called his team in for the last-minute chat pre-game, a match fact appeared on the screen that said the Cats had won 31 of their last 23 games at home. <laughs> now, we don't always get everything right at useless AFL stat, but uh, even we know some of the stuff that's that up. I think it was meant to be 31 of their last 33, but uh, luckily for the Dogs, they probably didn't know what unsurmountable odds they were facing as they had the game all but one in the dying seconds until Gary Rowan marked. And, of course, he kicked truly to secure the win and became the 53rd time a game has been won after the siren. Uh, Gary Rowan joins just Barry Hall as players to have done it twice. Interestingly, both did it with two different teams. Hall first did it with St Kilda and then Sydney, whilst Rowan kicked his first for Sydney in 2017 against Essendon. Uh, definitely a lot easier one. He marked it right in the goal square. Yes. But both of Rowan's goals came in round 14. Had Rowan have only kicked a behind, he still would have created history because he would have joined Tom Hawkins as the only players to have kicked a goal after the siren to win and a behind to draw. But Hawkins, for now, can hold that record alone. Uh, nice work for Tommy Hawkins. Can just hang on for a little bit longer. Let's turn our attention to the Brisbane Lions. And Jared Lyons was dominant against North Melbourne. Yeah, Jared Lyons was credited as one of the best players for Brisbane in their win over North Melbourne. And for those who like their fantasy footy, he scored 161 points, which is a huge effort. He had a rather amazing stat sheet, though, with 12 tackles, 6 marks and 36 disposals. But even more amazing is that from all those 36 touches, which included 22 kicks and 14 handballs, none of them were credited with a score involvement. This meant every time he disposed of the ball, it was either turned over or went out of bounds at some subsequent point. Yeah, this gives him a new AFL record for most disposals without a tour involvement. Uh, The previous record holder was Fremantle defender Luke Ryan with 34. A bit bit harder to get a score involvement from the back line, but Liam Picken and Jake Lloyd have had 33. Aaron Hall and Rory Laird, 32. Andrew Gaff, Matt Prittis and Luke McDonald, 30. have all had decent tallies without a score involvement. Uh, okay, so there it is there. Not, I'm not sure whether that's a record that 
Jared Lyons will want to hold for that much longer, but that is a stunning, useless AFL stat. In the old days, one team wore black shorts and one team wore white shorts. What do you got for us? Yeah, so earlier in the week on useless AFL stats, we posted a stat about games won by teams wearing different coloured footy shorts. (laughs) So updating uh, this to include round 14, where white shorts won four of the five matches across the weekend, it's clearly white shorts with the most wins with 47 and a draw ahead of black on 17. Next best is what we have termed midnight blue. So that's won by the Crows, Melbourne, Geelong and Carlton, that uh, dark navy blue. They've had 14 wins, red with 13. The traditional blue won by the Eagles and the Bulldogs, 11 and a draw. And then you've got the purple, the uh, the grey or the charcoal GWS wear, the maroon and the brown, all with a handful of wins <laughs> make up the numbers. Uh, we we presented that as a nifty little pie chart on our Facebook page. If anyone wants to go and check it out, we'll probably update that again at the end of the year. But it's interesting that uh, Essendon, who were the last team to win in white shorts, they did that against Hawthorne on Sunday. They were also the first to ever wear them. They wore them in round one, 1902, um, whilst every other club until then either wore blue or black. Um, over Over the following years, other clubs started to wear white shorts until uh, 1930 was when the VFL as it was back then made it made a rule that uh, home teams wore the black or dark shorts and the away teams wore the white shorts it's it's one of the rare rules in AFL which hasn't been uh, tinkered with too much. Yeah absolutely when I started first following football in the late 60s early 70s it was certainly didn't matter what jumper you're wearing and even it was South Fremantle when South Fremantle were the home team, I reckon they always wore the black shorts, but of course that eventually changed to the red. All right, Ellie, Yo has popped up on useless AFL stats. You've done a bit of homework. Yeah, well, this was the, the name you threw out to me at the end of last week. Yeah. Obviously, with the, the short around and no Eagles and Dockers, you gave me two names. Elliot Yo was the first one. Yep. So what we came up with was that in round one, 2020, uh, Elliot Yo set a couple of records for free kicks in the Eagles game against Melbourne. At three-quarter time, he became the only person to give away the entire team's free kicks. He'd conceded six, and no other Eagles player had had gave up a free kick. He then conceded the next free early in the last quarter to become what we believe is the first player to ever concede seven consecutive free kicks for a club. (laughs) Uh, West Coast finished conceding another four free kicks, but Yo's seven of 11 at 63.6% edges out Shane Mumford's record of 7 of 12 for the Giants in round 10, 2019, as the biggest percentage of frees conceded by a player for his team. Uh, West Coast still went on to win that game by 27 points. Yeah, that was the COVID game, wasn't it? That was the only game. That was the one that was played at Optus Stadium with no fans. I remember that, and uh, then the whole thing shut down, if I remember rightly. I stand corrected on that, or that, yep. am I right? Yeah, I think, I I think you're right. right there, Goff. And I also not only gave you Elliot Yo last week, this was a little bit tougher, I reckon. You've got to come up with some uh, digging, some homework on Stephen Dodd. Yep, this one might blow your mind, Goss. Fremantle player Stephen Dodd. <laughs> He's the most even and odd player in AFL history. He wore jumper 25. That's one even number, the two, and one odd number, the five. But let's consider these career stats for Stephen Dodd. His win-loss was 43 wins, 58 losses. One odd number, one even number, and you'll see where I'm going. I do. His His disposals were 713 kicks, 762 handballs. 
His possessions were 465 contested, 1,000 uncontested. His inside 50s compared to rebound 50s. Rebound 50s, 243. Inside 50s, 104. His score, he was primarily a backman, so he didn't kick too many, but he had seven goals and eight behind. And his free kicks were 94 and 87 against. Stop so it. Stop that. that. Either odd or even. Stop that. Now, the real mind-blowing part. What? Even his... Even his name, yeah. Stephen Dodd, yeah. contains the words even at the end of Stephen and odd at the end of Dodd. <laughs> that, that is as useless AFL stat and the homework you have done over there, you blokes, is next level. Stephen Dodd, the evens and odds, his name even has even and odd at that is next level. Brilliant stuff. I reckon that is your best performance for the week. Nice work by you. People want to follow you on Facebook. Useless AFL stats. If you want to ask the boys a question, they'll do the digging. You just rejoice in knowing that you've got a useless AFL stat. Thanks for joining us, as always, Della. No worries, guys. See you next week. Good man, Aaron Delaport. How good is that? The Stephen Dodd one. Get on to it. Useless AFL stats. This is the Sporting Goss. Star Spangled Banter comes up after 11 o'clock. AFL Tribunal News, Joel Selwood has accepted a $1,000 fine for misconduct against Bailey Dale. Joel Selwood has accepted a $2,000 rough conduct fine against Taylor Jurey. Mitch Robinson has accepted a $1,500 sanction for conduct against uh, Tristan Jerry. Toby Green has accepted a $2,000 striking sanction against Nick Newman. And Daniel Howe has accepted a $2,000 for forceful front-on contact against Harrison Jones. That means the tribunal will not be sitting. The West Coast Eagles are conducting an open training session for their fans for the first time in 18 months. If you're there... Love to hear from you. Or let us know what it's like, what the atmosphere is like. Thirteen twelve fifty five or zero four eight seven seven three six seven three six. Or if Fremantle, you are out there, Freo fans. I know you love the show and you'll be listening in intently to what I say. Uh, get in touch with us. Zero four eight seven seven three six seven three six. News is next. And then another hour of sporting goss. Star Spangled Banter. All things American sport. Tyson Beatty will have plenty to say, I'm sure, on Ben Simmons. Don't go anywhere. We're on your radio for another hour. On SEN Spirit 621, of course, on SENWA. Stay with us. So much to get through. Thank you, April, for the news at a couple past 11. Tim Gossage with you on Sporting Goss until midday. Don't forget Peter Wahos from Five and Drive. And our thoughts are also with uh, Howard Sattler's family today. The funeral of the great WA broadcaster is being staged this afternoon. Our thoughts are with uh, Despine and all the family after the death and passing of a legend of our industry been a busy, busy, busy show, and there's been plenty of feedback as well. Keep it coming uh, for 0487 736 736 or 131255, or follow us on our socials. Yesterday on the show, we interviewed a young man called Michael Grantham as part of our Sporting Goss show. He had a huge couple of days. Friday night, he drove the big race winner, Shockwave, superstar pacer. 
Then on Saturday night, he went down to Bunbury and drove another winner called Dr. Tom. He then drove horses to Kalgoorlie on Sunday and also trained a winner and then drove all the way back and then said this on the show yesterday. Bloody freezing cold down there, I think. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I got three drives down there and um, I think uh, if it does does um, hold off, I think I have got a win. I think Miss Lamar in race seven will win. Coming to the outside of them is I Am The Firecracker. Miss Lamar with the Our Star Watch lead. Just American fights on the inside. I Am The Firecracker, the outside. It's Miss Lamar late coming away now from Our Star Watch and Miss Lamar, one and a half. Miss Lamar from Our Star Watch. Just American yes. gets third. I yes, and didn't just win. It absolutely bolted and paid $5.10. It pays to listen. Get your pen and paper ready. It pays to listen to our show. There he was. He just said, I'll drive a winner. He didn't say, well, I think I could drive a winner or maybe it needs a bit of luck. He just had brash youth and said, it will win. And it duly saluted at $5.10. And thank you for everyone who tuned in yesterday and sent thank you messages. And just give you the heads up, make sure you're listening to Sporting Goss tomorrow morning. Because the great backpipe drink what you like is on the show. William Pike is going to be our guest. He was on one of our very first shows, Sporting Gospel, all those years, months ago. And he has got nine rides at Belmont Park just across the way tomorrow. And William Pike will be our guest. So there it is. Yeah, yeah, and Mr. Ed, he'll drop in as well. Don't you worry a little head. Okay, so just make sure you're tuned in tomorrow because William Pike has been kind enough to say that he will join us and give us a winner or three tomorrow. Now, you may not watch NRL 360, or you may, but a man who has been a big part of that for 10 years is former Queensland Rugby League star Ben Iken. He's the Jared Whiteley of NRL 360. Very measured, very learned, great and uh, aficionado of the game. He dropped this bombshell on NRL 360 yesterday. It's a big job, but it's a, a great club. And, you know, there's still winning in the walls there. The NRL team's not going tremendously well at the moment. But uh, I've had a bit to do with Dave Donaghy since he beat me for the top job <laughs> last year. Yeah. I like Dave. I like what he wants to do at the Broncos. Mm. And I know that the Broncos need to be better. They can be better. And in this role, I get a great opportunity to make them better, be part of the solution. Okay. That between the chairman, the CEO, the head coach and the GM of footy, as is the case in most NRL clubs, it's all about alignment. It's a shared responsibility. It's not about reporting lines, BK. And I think you'd all agree yeah. that at the moment, for the Broncos, it's about getting everybody on the same page mm. and as quickly as possible. Ben Iken, going from NRL 360 host, former player, of course, played State of Origin also for Queensland, now going to head up football at the Brisbane Broncos. And we spoke to Jimmy Smith yesterday, didn't we, about the Broncos and Rugby League, and there it is. I don't know if Jimmy was aware of that, but it was dropped last night on NRL 360. So Ben Iken is heading there. We'll get a breakaway. We'll come back. In fact, no, we won't. We won't get a breakaway just yet. We, we'll, I want to go back to the, the huge talk. And, and Matthew Pavlich, who was our guest yesterday, of course, every Monday on Gillian Goss, he had a fair bit to say without saying a lot in regards to the review 
of the Carlton Football Club, the review of the Carlton Football Club. And while David Teague is not the sole focus of the review, when you're doing a review of a football department, it certainly comes straight back onto the coach, and that is the position held by David Teague. On Footy Classified last night, Matthew Lloyd had a fair bit to say. On the couch had a fair bit to say. I'm going to run you through the words about Carlton. In particular, Matthew Lloyd on Carlton's attacking style. And then we'll hear Footy Classified on Zach Williams, big prize recruit from GWS to Carlton. And you should hear Jonathan Brown's comments on the couch about Zach Williams. You reckon Stephen A. Smith was brutal on Ben Simmons. Wait till you hear what Jonathan Brown had to say about Zach Williams and Carlton last night. But let's go back to footy classified. Lloydie speaking about the Blues attacking style. Well, Kane, here's the numbers from yesterday. Uh, 138 marks the Giants took. So that's the fifth most by any side in the comp this year. And Carlton's tackles 41. That's just not going to win you too many games. And you know, they've now conceded uh, more points than anyone except North Melbourne. So they're ranked 17th for points against. And that, you know, you've got to be top four, top five in both categories if you're to win a premiership. Carlton are ranked 17th for points against. And I don't, I don't hold it against David at the start because he may have no. believed that, OK, we'll defend OK. Everyone defends pretty well, but our attack can be our upside on the rest and of the competition. And got him the job, the attack. Yeah, and, the, and, and it did. He came off a dower year of Brendan Bolton. It did. Well, but he got the job because it was the opposite of Bolton, more the opposite than anyone else on yeah. that assistant Most coaching side. Yeah. But you'd have to say now, the balance, he's got the balance horribly wrong. Uh, and once you try and teach it one way and then you try and retrieve it and pull it back, it's very hard. You can't change a game plan in season. It's very You can make adjustments, but uh, just on the players, I, I put it on Cripps and Doherty as well. The captains will get to Doherty very shortly too, but they've got to take some responsibility because... It was interesting they willed yeah, them out today to the media, yeah. I thought. That was a sign of trying to move the narrative into the players owning... Put the, your hand and, up, uh, and as they should, because it was yep. woeful on the week. Not question their confidence. I think Doherty's lacking confidence in the standards. Ask the question of standards. And speaking of standards, no one knows Zach Williams better than the Giants. And what they did on the weekend was they started Matty DeBoer outside the square. He charged in and tagged Walsh. Taranto spat out and they said, no, we'll do. We'll work over Zach Williams aerobically with Tim Taranto. So this is the first quarter. This is the first quarter of the game, and look at his efforts. Taranto will bolt past him soon, and Zach just wants to walk. Mm. So they made here, they, they exposed him poorly because they knew Zach Williams better than anyone, yet Carlton but how does overpaid this, How does this him. happen? They, they made a six-year decision yes. thinking that he was a midfielder and a solution to their midfield worries. So this is the massive he, he is issue, not, He's not ever going to be a midfielder for them. He's a very, very capable uh, First class when fit a halfback flanker. One it's good a game. Massive They've got one. a lot of money tied up for six years, Kane, making a decision on someone that isn't aerobically capable of playing in a midfoot. And it's not today's problem or tomorrow's. It's the next six years' problem. So what happens now? And this is the review. So it's, it's to, into recruiting. So De Boer goes to Walsh. Well, Williams is supposed to be the third midfielder. So then if you're going to tag Walsh, we got Williams, you got Cripps, you got a couple of others in and amongst it who can uh, lift the void of Walsh being down. He had six kicks on the weekend. Cripps is out of form. Williams can't play in the midfield because he's not fit enough. So it's Sam Walsh all on his own. If I'm the opposition, I tag Walsh mm. every week. But Football's going to become a lot harder for Sam Walsh because they've got their recruiting wrong. wrong. That should have been a bona fide midfielder. So you can pluck any just, name you just, like. I know they're hard to get, but that was the wrong one. Just to back over that, like it's at the heart of their problem. They've got you know $1.5 million plus tied up on 
flair halfback flankers. Williams, and they gave up, I think, pick eight for Saad, which looks way overs too. That's going to hold them back. That's not just... That's a, that's a generational problem they've got now, Lauder. If, if Zach is not a, can't become a midfielder aerobically, they haven't done their homework on that. No, it's, a, it's an error. Oh, they, they took him off the back of a prelim final where the, he was probably you know, dominated yeah. and hoped that he could be that for Carlton, which unfortunately he's not unless he finally gets serious and has the pre-season of his life and gets fitter than he is currently. This happens week in, week out. Have a look at that. Since round seven, Carlton are the easiest team for the opposition yep. to move it from their defence to their forward field. Do you reckon Zach Williams' old team went to school on him and... Uh, Worked him over. I know they did. 11 I, possessions. I, I know they did. I tell you what, Zach Williams is one of the laziest footballers going around at the moment. Oh, Brownie, it's a big... It big. is an absolute indictment. Don't worry. There's about 100 pieces of vision we've left on the cutting room floor. We could have gone through it for the next half an hour and showed it. And we could have, we could have really, really hurt his reputation. So I'm just verbaling it for you. That bloke has come to the Carlton Footy Club, paid that sort of money. He needs to turn up in better shape and yep. get himself fit and turn up and put in a better effort, especially on defence. So, so you talk about what's David Teague saying. Mm. So we, you absolutely are right. He says communicating all of the things that a senior coach, you don't get that far if you mm. don't understand. But then you watch what's going on here. On the back of the week that they've had, the week off, fresh it up, and then you see some running. Kelly's on one leg, hurt his ankle in the first, I don't know, three minutes of the game. The spread from these two here. So there they go. There's Carlton players there in position. Ball goes deep, right? And the next players that bob up here on a, on a horrible turnover, albeit, are Kelly and Hopper ahead of the footy, mm, right? Yeah. So you go, Kelly's on one leg. Just say this again. He's, he stepped, came off the ground. Stepped. Stepped inside two players, hit up lead. Now, this one's worse. This, this is the most damning one of all. Now, I'm a Lockie Whitfield uh, devotee, OK? Because he wants to test the opposition every chance he gets. That's what he wants to do. Look at this. Look where Whitfield is. And look what he puts. He puts six of them to the sword because he wants to test them. He looks at them and says, what do you got? I know what I've got. What do you got? And that's (laughs) embarrassing. And, and, hey, they won't be the only ones. But when there's six of them... That's, that's so, and, and the trouble there is, so you've, you've, you've shown Williams, Jack Martin again on that occasion, you've got high-paid high players, you've got you, the core of the Carlton side and they're really good young leaders and players. It's Cripps, it's Mackay, mm. it's, it's Walsh. So Walsh. younger players are probably a little bit more introverted. If I'm David Teague, I'm bringing them in. I'm getting them in and I'm saying, OK, the, the, the senior players, they're, they're not leading the way. Doherty, they're not leading. Murphy's we, out of the we, side. They're not leading the way ago. with their defensive. We did effort. say this two weeks ago. This is your club now. But they, but they, but they have to drive well, it. These young players that are the core, that are the real honest workers within that football club, they're the ones that they have to drive it. Otherwise, guess what? They're not going to be a good football side. It is that time of day. We love Tuesdays. Star-spangled banter time. Tyson Beattie joins us in the studio. Cold out there? Oh, it's freezing, Goss. Absolutely freezing. Not freezing, Tyson. It's 12.5 degrees. It says there on the clock up there, 12.5 degrees, and it feels like 12.5. Don't overcook it, mate. No, no, no. It's, it's a cold morning. It's a legi- legitimately cold morning in Perth, WI. <laughs> it does. I came in earlier. Obviously, some production meeting was up past two this morning. It was cold then, too. Ah, uh, look, uh, blue sky. 
Blue sky. That's the main thing. Hey, dark clouds over the uh, career of Ben Simmons in the NBA. Let's just have that top of the table discussion right there. Yeah, Ben Simmons, um, I mean, I don't know if you saw on social media this morning, some of the Philadelphia fans have been burning his jersey. Now, Philadelphia, by the way, just for people that know about American cities and sports, Philly is probably the toughest town in American sports. They boo their own players all the time in any game. I threw a bottle on the court yesterday. Well, he's public, he's public enemy number one now. Yeah, but it's not helped by this bloke, Stephen A. Smith. Have a listen to this that we've played a couple of times this morning. I know the answer to whether or not Ben Simmons is a championship point guard, and I think Doc Rivers knows it too. The answer is very simple. Hell no! Not in Philly, at least, because Ben Simmons' days in Philadelphia are officially over. I'm here to tell y'all that right now. I don't mean just in the Sixers uniform. I mean that Ben Simmons should not risk even being seen in the city this offseason. Trust me on this. I worked in Philadelphia for 17 years. Not at a restaurant. Not getting gas. Just go. Go to L.A. Go to Australia. Anywhere that isn't Philadelphia. Again, I worked in that city for 17 years of my career. And that town will not get over this. And they shouldn't either, to be honest with you. Oh, Stephen A. Smith makes Kane Corns look like the tooth fairy, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, he is he's a bit much. But look, the truth is he had the lowest free throw percentage in the history of the NBA playoffs, minimum 70 attempts. I mean, it, it, it was a really, really poor effort by him. And I think where he lost the fans a little bit was probably just a couple of efforts under the basket when he probably could have scored. He should have dunked in, in with about three and a half minutes left. It would have kept the margin really tight for Philly. But he decided to dish off. So there's a couple of non-efforts that I think that the, the fans, he's just... But why been... is that? That's just mental scarring, mate. That's not lack of effort. That's just, he's got the yips. Okay, there's a big difference between Ben Simmons and, I don't know, Delavadova, Paddy Mills, whatever. He is a number one draft pick. When you're the number one draft pick in the NBA, the scrutiny and pressure on you is massive. Yeah, and he's mentally scarred because of that. He is mentally scarred. They look after him. Yeah, well... That's that's not what happens over there. Sometimes they really just throw you to the curb, and and it's it's tough. I mean, people talk about say Jack Watson, how he fell out his career, the way it slid. I mean, he had a long time at Melbourne before he finally moved on. It, ben Simmons hasn't even been at Philadelphia that long when you consider when he got drafted, and now they're already saying, "No, that's it. Can't can't win with him. Can't win with him. He's got to go." So there's couple there's a couple of trades. I've been reading a couple of trades that a few destinations. None of this is 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 rock solid at all. But they're looking at potentially a trade for Portland for for Damian Lillard, which would be really interesting. A whole bunch of draft picks thrown in there. And the other one that people are throwing out is the Washington Wizards potentially. So it's I think his time is probably up at Philadelphia. Good to see his mate Christian Petrarca supporting yeah, him on social media. Agree. Hundred percent agree. Uh, so this is what uh, Joel Embiid. Who needs enemies when you got teammates like Joel Embiid? This is what he said, literally <laughs> ten minutes after the game. Man, uh, I'll be honest. Um, I thought the turning point was uh, I don't know how to say it, um, but I thought the turning point was just you know we had uh, an open shot and you know we missed. Uh, we made one free throw and. Uh, we missed the other, and then they came down and scored, uh, and uh, we didn't get a good pos- uh, possession. 
Sounds like he, he made that interview in an aquarium. Yeah, but yeah, I think it was done by Zoom. But, I mean, he was terrible in, down the stretch too. Yeah, he, he wasn't great either. But clearly the chemistry between those two players and the difficulty in their relationship is, is, is blatantly obvious now. He also didn't get any um, support from his head coach, Doc Rivers. We've got that. Have a listen to this. So Doc Rivers was asked about whether he thought Ben Simmons could be a championship guard post-game. Have a listen to this response. Doc, you think Ben Simmons can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. Um, you know, so I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I mean, clearly there's some emotional response. When you lose a Game 7, Goss, I mean, Game 7, a deciding Game 7 Eastern Conference semifinals, that, that is really a time when you are going to probably – uh, there's going to be some fracture in the way you respond to questions. It's not going to be sort of we're all in this together yeah. at that point. Yeah, look, it's it's been horrible. And now the talk that he's basically saying, he probably well, sorry, he's not. It's been reported that he's not looking to go to Tokyo. Now, we spoke to Andrew Gaze, mm. and he said that is the best thing he should do. Yeah, go but what there. a disappointment for Australian basketball fans looking oh, to watch him wi- in the Olympics. He'd be wiped. It's not about the winning either. It's about it's, that I think Australia has supported him during this time for the best part. There's been no one... I mean, you, you get the nuffies on socials who are coming out and bagging him out, but as far as a country is concerned, we want to see him do well. We don't want to see the train wreck that we've seen during the playoffs. Our greatest chance to get a medal is right now in, in well, not him. He's not very good. Well, <laughs> I, th- I think we should be aiming for a medal in this in this Olympics. Ben Simmons would be a huge be. part of that. Of course we should be. Lamello Ball. Before you jump before Lamello Ball, let's have a look at the playoff standings because I want to make a comment about this just quickly, oh, right? Oh. Okay, so the LA and Phoenix. So this is the Western Conference final now. They lead one nil over um, the Phoenix Suns. Lead one nil over the LA Clippers. And in the other series is yet to start. Atlanta, who defeated the 76ers, we we're just talking about take on the Milwaukee Bucks. The series will begin um, on on Thursday, our time. So here's the thing about these four remaining teams. This is this is classified as the preliminary final, so yeah. to speak, of the NBA, yeah. right? Yeah. So these four remaining teams, how many championships do they have between them? I know the answer to this. I just saw it pop up on my socials last night. None. You're, you're wrong. I'm oh, wrong. You're wrong. Wrong? No, the Bucks have won one, haven't they, Chris? I'm sure the Bucks have won one in the 70s. No. I don't think any of No. Yes. Yes. No. Chris has given you a false... Well, no. no. No, no, the Milwaukee Bucks have won a championship, which means that only one team hang on, hang on. out of the four here has actually won a title ah, in the NBA. Before the merger. It counts as a title in the okay, NBA. Okay, mate. So, so, okay. So, so, All right. So he was, you wouldn't have asked such a loaded question anyway if you didn't know the answer. This is a rarity in the NBA, yeah, Goss, true. because we have a lot of dynasties. So often you have teams that come back year after year that win constantly. They win two, three in a row, four gotcha. in a row, all that sort of stuff. So this is an exciting thing for... The neutral, the drought breaker, I don't all that want, sort of stuff. I don't want that. Um, so, so what's his name's out of it now? Um, Brooklyn, aren't they? Yes, that was good. Yeah, Brooklyn out of it. That was good to watch. Oh, well, because I because I tried to explain it to my my daughter. They just basically tried, like a lot of teams yeah. do. They just try and buy a championship. So, so the I people the people's team now is probably the Atlanta Hawks. They've made their second Eastern Conference final in fifty years. Yeah. And guess how many All Stars they have on this team? Oh, I, I know the answer to this. I saw this on socials. None. Don't rely everything you see on socials, but that is correct. Oh, Zero. you're holding up three yeah. fingers. <laughs> hey, hey, Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. Wow. Who's the Atlanta greatest? Hawks. Who's the greatest Atlanta Hawk of all time? Ricky Grace. Dominique Wilkins. I know Ricky Grace did have a tryout with them. I remember he that in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played. Yeah, yeah, that's he right. Did. Hey, yeah. uh, so, okay, so we're down to four. So name me the four teams again. 
So the LA Clippers, the Phoenix Suns, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Milwaukee Bucks. And who do you think wins it? Who do I want to win it? Who do I think is going to win it? Both. Well, I think the Phoenix Suns are going to win it. I think it's I Phoenix think it's their Suns. Year. Yeah. Okay. And you, but you want Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. I think it'd be a great story if the Hawks won won the whole thing. Okay. So sorry, I preempted this by mentioning Lamelo Ball, who's a name we know here yes. in the NBL. I'm going to play you yep. this. But on stage you're a star. His girlfriend. Cossa, Cossa. Is that his girlfriend? No, no, it's not. It's not his girlfriend. That's Hannah Montana. No, Anna. Anna with an A. Anna Montana. You sent me a message to say yeah. that he goes out with Hannah. No, no, no. Anna Montana is an Instagram model, right? She She's kind of a Kim Kardashian-looking Instagram model. What? She's super famous and she's very scantily clad, wearing most of the time no, on social media. No, it Any, just mean. Anyway, the point is that's not the right Montana, that one. So Lamello Ball. Yeah. Goes out with Anna Montana. Anna Montana. Well, he's been dating her. There's, it's not confirmed or official. Well, look what happened to Ben Simmons because he went out with... Um... I know. This is my point. I'm worried about this kid because, like, all of a sudden we're seeing a lot of him yeah. on socials, having a great time, partying, mm-hmm. and this, you know, he's got a huge future. He's won the, the NBA Rookie of the Year after missing 21 games. So, you know, I just hope that he doesn't sort of slide down the path of... Uh, you know, too much party and fun and all that sort of stuff and <laughs> okay. not focus on his basketball. So he was the bloke that was at Illawarra Hawks. Correct. He came through that uh, next gen. He's gone from Wollongong. No. I oh, know. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. It's hey. a rags to riches story. we've got a Wollongong audience, mate. Sorry. All righty. What about the big, uh, the off-season trading? Has it started? Yeah, first big trade of the off Well, first really big trade of the off-season. So Boston's Kemba Walker was traded with a first-round pick to Oklahoma City for Al Horford, who used to be at the Celtics, a five-time All-Star, and Moses Brown, another draft pick on top of that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Oklahoma City now has roughly 16 first-round draft picks over the course of the next seven seasons when you add them all up together. Have you ever seen a team stockpile that many yeah, GWS. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's like that. So I don't know what they're going to do with them. They've been terrible. So we'll see what, what happens with them in the next uh, year or two. In a moment, we're going to get to the NFL and the news at 11.30. Uh, thank you to the Texters. 1971, the Bucks won one there league. There you go. One league title, two conference titles, 71 and 74, 16 division titles, 71 70 to 74, 76, 80 to 86, 2001, 2019 and 2020. Who's that? Who's that? Bucks. Send that text. Uh, Billy. Oh, good on you, Billy. Yeah, nice work, Billy. All right, let's turn to the NFL. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Get off your bell. Buffalo Bills wide receiver Cole Beasley, um, he's kind of shocked the NFL world a little bit because he's declared that he'd rather retire from the NFL than get vaccinated for what? COVID-19. So we, so he's kind of the first of the anti-vaxxers that's come out and said, I'm not going to get a vaccine. So it's like, well, if you don't get a vaccine, then what is the NFL going to do? So they're going to make a decision on this situation very soon, which may really cause a stir um, amongst the playing ranks of the NFL. So watch, watch for that. The other thing I want to bring up today, Tom Brady... Tom Brady says he probably won't play <laughs> when he's when he's fifty. So so he's got two years on his contract, which means he'll he'll play through to forty five. But that's the first indication that he says he probably sees an endpoint here somewhere. Tom Brady is the David Mundy of good on because I reckon I reckon Mundy could play till he's fifty. Yeah, that's that's true. Probably <laughs> slightly better looking fella, Tom. But uh, I think it's David Mundy. Whoa, no, great, great, light, mate, great personality. Words. But Tom Brady's probably the best looking man on the planet for forty five. Let's uh, be honest. Are, are you calling the Sen Waffle this weekend? Yes, absolutely. Which so game? we've got uh, Subiaco and Swan District. Swanee's very disappointing last week yeah. against West Perth. Subi is smarting. Subi are looking for revenge after yeah. last week. They're actually all right. Loss. They're all right. West Coast were very good, and West Coast is going to be strong. They're taking on Eastern Mantle, mm. 
And if West Coast get all their blokes back into the top team to take on the Bulldogs, the others are going to be down. Mm, fascinating year in the Waffle, I'm telling Absolutely. you right now. Hey, nice work by you. Really enjoyed you that today. Thanks, mate. So how many titles have the Milwaukee Bucks won? One. <laughs> Billy, just he just gave you all the info on it. 29 away from 12. Here's some news. Tyson Beattie with Star Spangled Banner every Tuesday on Sporting Goss. Ah, popular segment is Star Spangled Banter. So, too, is useless AFL stats. Still to come, Scotty Baker from the WA Footy Commission because Optus Stadium is down to host, of course, the Waffle Grand Final again. All eyes are on the West Coast Eagles, and they have been for some time, in particular yesterday, the return of Willie Rioli. And today, the club is having their first official open training session to the fans for about 18 months. And one man who doesn't miss a beat when it comes to Eagles training, he stands with his arms folded. And a man who made Lathlane Park his own during his 151 AFL uh, Waffle Games with the Mighty Demons is Adrian Barrett from 7 News. Barrett, good morning. Hey, Gus. Good to speak to you, mate. Good timing as usual by you. They've, they've just finished training and now the players, as you would know, are heading over to the fans and they're signing autographs. Jack Redden right in front of my, me here signing some footies, uh, there's a lady with a free willy poster. It's, um, there's a few of those in the crowd. And uh, interestingly, though, Goss, uh, Willie has not come over to the fans. So I think he's probably still a little bit gun-shy, uh, even though there's total love for him here. I, I guess he probably wants to keep a low profile. So he hasn't headed over to the fans where the rest of the team has and are all signing autographs as we speak. Okay, so it's been about 18 months since they've had an open session due to the, the COVID dramas, of course, which unfolded round one last year against Melbourne. I mean, not an ideal start to it, being a Tuesday and being a working day and a school day. Next week will probably be pretty massive, I'd imagine, during school holidays. How many of the uh, the Eagles faithful were there today? Well, I reckon about three, maybe 300, 400 That's fans. Right. Uh, you, you would know the cafe in the uh, Eagles headquarters. That is absolutely <laughs> chockers. They're making a fortune. You can't get on the get on the balcony there. So they're going beautifully. And and Goss, as you know, it used to be a regular occurrence, didn't it, that the fans could come and watch training. But but yes. as you said, because of COVID, they haven't had the opportunity. So even though it's a work day, there's a few folks uh, wagging work, a few people, kids wagging school, and they've got down here in the blue and gold, and they're taking advantage of it. And it was good to see too, because all the gun. Eagles guys that are injured all trained well. And McGovern looked really impressive. Um, yep. Shepard was fine. Uh, Kelly was working with Nick Nat in the middle. And, and so was Luke. Luke Shuey took it a bit easy. Elliot Yo was about the only one that um, wasn't training. So he must be on some sort of program where they just don't want to over, overdo it with him. You know what I mean? So yeah. Josh from, from a, from a, um, okay. I think I did. That's a that's a good question, mate, because um, that should be part of the story. Is he made it back from Northampton and that wow. $50,000 yeah. they raised, eh? Yeah, Harry Taylor kicked two. What, what did Harry kick? Ten? I think he kicked ten goals, six. He did. Did you hear the Had story? Three-quarter time. He only had yeah. four goals and uh, JK <laughs> went out and said, hey, mate, what are you doing? You're on $1,000 a goal. Get moving. And he kicked six. Six yeah. in the last quarter, so... I think there's That's been an inquiry. Story, I think there's been an inquiry into the opposition and the defensive unit who who played their part. I think in, <laughs> in, the, in the ten goals six that he might have kept. Uh, so did you reckon Rioli... they? You reckon they played along? I reckon they played along, Adrian. I have a the Washington, the Washington, the Washington Generals for the uh, <laughs> Harlem Globetrotters. A bit of Harlem Globetrotter music going on. So, so what did Willie Rioli do training wise, Barrett? 
Oh, he's really into it. No, he's, he's fully uh, on board. He's, he's good how he... Um, I don't know if he, he's playing up to the crowd or not, but he's definitely putting the skills on display, marking the ball behind his back, you know, <laughs> flicking it up with his feet, no hands, and socking the ball through the goals. Uh, he certainly looks the goods. He, obviously, you don't lose your skill, do you? And he probably is a bit, bit unfit in terms of AFL and maybe needs to lose a couple of kilos. But you've got to think that with eight weeks training, barring a hammy or something, that he'd have to be a real show... I reckon would they put him into the waffle for the last has week? Has to. They have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I reckon that's spot on because you can only do, as you know, sims. You can only do simulation training for about ten minutes, can't you? And that's not mm. enough to prove that your body's up to it. So, Claremont, watch out in the last round against the Eagles. Willie will probably be back, I think. Uh, now, just on, let's just deviate just briefly, and we appreciate Adrian Barrich, our guest from Seven News, and you'll see his report on Seven tonight. Um, can't believe I'm saying that. Hey, Barra, um, <laughs> times have changed. Hey, Barra. Does that feel weird? Uh, yeah, real weird. Doesn't feel, I don't feel safe. I feel dirty. I think I have to go and have a shower. Hey? Have a shower, mate. <laughs> hey, Barra, can uh, I ask, um, you, you were very much, and you and... Uh, and Skeeter Reddings and Clint Wilden and Tanya Armstrong and anyone else who wanted to have a piece of the Perth Demons last year about Michael making Schultz, the finals. Michael Schultz. Schultz, whatever happened to Schultz? Hey, what's happened? Yeah, I don't know. They hit the wall. They went beautifully against the reigning premiers. They beat South Fremantle and then they went up to West Perth and broke that hoodoo of 10 years. Yeah. And then uh, then the Subi game, your boys just absolutely slotted us. So we had a lot of injuries. And then yeah. I think what's happened, guys, they brought back eight blokes last week and probably rush too many back and they probably maybe if they had their time over again they might have only played half of them and kept some of the kids in and because guys like Masto and that were a bit a bit scratchy and Fraser McGuinness looked good but yeah I think they'll get back on the horse now I think they'll be okay now but that game against East Romano that was a bit of a uh, a bit of an aberration so let's hope that because it'd be good to have Perth in the finals mate it's good for the comp isn't it you know what I mean yeah very much oh hunt bait Brilliant, and especially if the, the grand final is now going to be set down for Optus. I mean, I would love to see a, a Perth-West Perth or a Perth-East Fremantle or a Perth-East Perth grand final. I've got a feeling Subiaco and Claremont are going to get in the way of a big crowd at Optus Stadium on grand final day. I have a feeling the Subiaco, your mates at Subi might be ringing you up after this, after you said that too. Well, <laughs> yeah. I want to be there. Hey, what yeah, about no. the grandstand here? I'm at Lathlane, great man. Yeah, we've yeah. we've tried, we've gone through that grandstand many times, and yes. it's getting bowled over. I think in October, November, after mm. since 1955, it's been here. So some people are having the opportunity to go in and just have a look around before it gets knocked over at the end of the season, which mm. is probably overdue. You'd think. What should what should it be called? What what's the grandstand? What should the grandstand at the at Lathlane or MRP be called in honour? of a Perth legend. It's pretty obvious which one they'll probably go for, but if you had to have two names alongside each other, your, your name excluded, oh. uh, which one would you go yeah. for? I think it, it'd have to be the Cable McIntosh grandstand, wouldn't it? The Cable yes. McIntosh. Yep. yep. I mean, while he's, yep. while he's up there, Ken Armstrong's Dalton. up there. Dalton. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, pistol Paddy Dalton, but yeah. probably Cable and McIntosh. Though Wiley did win more best fairest than all of them, so... Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's a tricky one. Maybe a, tri- maybe a triple header, but it's good to see it going over and, and good to see the Perth Footy Club, you know, backing around the place and maybe sort of maybe playing, playing finals. Let's hope, God, so. Good on you, mate. Hey, good on you, Barrett. Thanks for joining us. 
Always good to speak to you. Thanks for having us on. See you, buddy. There's Barra from 7 News telling us there are about 350 to 400 people there. Willie Rioli didn't come across and sign autographs, but all the other players did, so that's great news. Just had it typed up on my screen that Greg O'Rourke, head of the A-League, has confirmed the A-League Grand Final will now be played back in Melbourne. So they've got to get out of Sydney because of all the COVID outbreaks. Got to get down to Melbourne with at least a crowd of 50,000 capacity. The final has been pushed back a day from its original Saturday night to a 4 o'clock Sunday game. Of course, it is Melbourne City and Sydney FC. And at one stage, it was going to be played in Sydney. And that would have been terrible because Melbourne City deserved to host the final. There it is there. So did you go to Eagles training or are you in your car? Are you heading out uh, now listening to us on SENWA? Let us know if you did. 13 12 55 or 0487 736 736. Scotty Baker joins us next from the Waffle. Welcome back to Sporting Goss on this very blue sky but crisp morning here in the West, of course. We're talking WAFL footy. Executive manager of Waffle and talent is Scotty Baker. And he joins us online to talk about the news from last week that the Optus Stadium will host the Optus Waffle Grand Final. That's big news, Scotty. Yeah, good morning, Goss. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, exciting news for the, the Waffle competition. Obviously, um, last year was... Uh, a different year in terms of or everything in football, really, and um, taking the grand final to a community venue. But um, back at Optus this year, and, and, and for us, you know, we want to play the, the biggest game of the year at the best ground in WA, and clearly that's Optus Stadium. It's a neutral venue, and it's a fantastic experience out there for, uh, for, for players and, and, and fans as well. So I'm not really excited to get back to Optus Stadium this year. How did it win the bid? Because it was a bidding process. Can you explain to the listeners how that played out? Yeah, so there was um, there was three genuine bidders in um, obviously uh, with South Randall and the City of Fremantle at Fremantle Oval, um, around Joondla, and and also uh, venues live with uh, with Optus Stadium. Um, there's obviously some serious financial considerations. You know, clearly Optus Stadium is more expensive to go to, um, but really for us, uh, once we could work, once we worked through the sort of the financial modelling, um, looked at the player and fan experience and the opportunities out at Optus Stadium, and sort of guarantees everyone can get a ticket and those types of things. There was. It was quite a long sort of process that we went through, but like I said before, we, we, you know, we're really keen to kind of continue to elevate the waffle competition. You know, we want to continue with things like the state game and, and playing the uh, the grand final at the best venue in the state. So that sort of won out in the end. And um, yeah, like I said, really excited to get back out there probably, later, in the year, later yeah, in the year. Yeah, probably not going to be any doubt that Optus would probably put in the biggest bid. But is it is a, is it a, when you talk about the bidding process, is that a financial thing for you, the Footy Commission, or or does it or does it cost you quite a lot of money to put the event on, or do you get an earn out of it? Yeah, it depends obviously on the crowd numbers that we get, um, but we're sort of in a, in a, in a joint arrangement with um, with venues live out there as well, where we sort of we share the risk and share the upside, which is um, which is a great opportunity for us and and for them. So, you know, like we we hope if we can get over twenty thousand or up near twenty five thousand, then um, you know we're going to well and truly break even, and anything above that, obviously, we'll make some money. So, um, it's a bit of a risk, obviously, because you know depending on you know who's playing and and, and the weather and all those types of things. Um, but we'll be doing a lot of work with off the stadium over the next few months to make sure. You know, we're going to create a real festival of football in the lead up to it, and there'll be all sorts of sort of activations and and fan 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 activations and live sites and family friendly activities in and around the ground uh, on Grand Final Day and in the lead up. So we're really hopeful with a with a really strong push and strong promotion, we can get some good crowd numbers and um, yeah, like I said, um, go better than break even, which will be a, which will be a great outcome. Scott Baker, our guest, executive manager of Waffle and Football Operations, and we're talking about the fact is that the Waffle Grand Final of 2021 will be staged at Optus Stadium, of course. What games will be played on the day? We're going to go all three grades? 
Yeah, it'll be all three grades. Yeah, yeah, it'll be sort of the um, like we've done the last few years. It's obviously a lot of, as you know, a lot of interest in the Colts competition mm. these days, and um, Channel Seven now broadcasts that. So um, we sort of have those games back to back. So it'll be the reserves into the Colts into the league will be the three games on the day, which is um, yeah, really exciting. And, and that's obviously another big consideration. You know, the, the longer you keep up the stadium uh, open, the, the more it costs. But um, but we're really, we're really keen to continue that tradition with all three grades playing on the same day, which we've managed to be able to do for this year. Yeah, entry of, of uh, kids under 16 will be free, which is fantastic as yep. well. Yep. Um, J- Justin, <laughs> you talked about uh, the elements and we talk about weather being one, but we talk about the teams in it. Um, now, as you know, Scotty, Subiaco is a club that's close to my heart. And Claremont yes. are up near the top of the ladder. But dare I say it, would there be those who don't want Subia and Claremont in the grand final because they don't have the huge supporter base of some of the other clubs in the competition? Oh, Ben, I know you can't say anything, but that's where everyone sort of laughs and giggles because of the, the older fan base that follows those two uh, Western Suburbs clubs. Yeah. 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 That, well, that's the fact, isn't it? That, um, it, you know, if they're in, they're not massive drawing crowds, um, those particular clubs and you know the, the way the season's panning out that, that, those those two teams are going to be thereabouts come prelim final day and, and stuff like that so, that's, so it's going to be you know, those, those fans but, but it's on us and, and venues live and off the stadium to really pump and promote, um, promote the competition so we can get all football fans there on the day and it's not just um, it's not just those two particular clubs You know, I, I grew up in SA when regardless of whether my team was in, we went to the grand final every year. Exactly. So hopefully we can get a bit of that happening in terms of all footy fans and all waffle fans and, you know, all the people in the community that love, love their footy to get along to the stadium and actually enjoy the, the whole experience regardless of uh, whether your team's in the uh, in, in, or playing on the day. Yeah, very true. And, um, well, if West Coast Eagles make a mad charge towards the end, you just never know, Scotty. All the Eagles members might rock up to see a bit of finals action at the waffle level. Yeah, no, don't worry about Subiaco. West Coast knocked them over on the weekend. <laughs> I know. So, uh, Trust knows? me, I was yeah, there. I was torn. <laughs> you don't bite the hands of Fiji, but at the other side, I was I was internally cheering for Subiaco. But well done to West Coast for that. Uh, just, also, Absolutely. yeah, what happens in the? Can you just give us the finals format leading into the grand final? So, where the games is it the top place teams who host the finals? How does that work? Yeah, that's right, mate. Yeah, so it'll be a four week final series, top five. Um, uh, formats. So obviously, you have the elimination final with four v five with four um, hosting, um, and then two v three with two hosting, and then um, you know the top team has a week off, and then it sort of flows from there with the highest um, finishing team after the home and away season um, hosting those finals all the way through, and then uh, and then into the grand final at the Stadium. So it'll sort of go back to that original top five format that everyone's probably uh, familiar with. Um, in the waffle, we obviously went to the top four format last year. Um, but we'll be back to the uh, we'll be back to the top five traditional format this year, which is yeah four weeks of finals. So that's uh, that's really exciting. People want to keep in touch with what's going to happen with the Waffle Grand Final in the lead up, and I know we've got to get in early, got to get uh, get people uh, drummed up interest, of course. And let's hope we do have fine weather. It will be on a Sunday. Most likely, yeah, most likely on the Sunday. That's where we've sort of played it the last the last few years. The only thing that would throw that would be if there was some kind of broadcast issue with an AFL game or something like that. But generally on that weekend, um, you know, the AFL's well and truly done and dusted on the Friday, on the Friday and Saturday night with their prelims. And, and, and then we look to, uh, we look to have clean air on the, uh, on the, on the Sunday, which, um, which will be, you know, yeah, back-to-back Channel 7 broadcast with the Colts and the, and, and the league. And then, yeah, a clean, a clear day of footy, no footy anywhere else in the state. So hopefully, um, 
hopefully, um, yeah, like I said before, all those footy fans can get along regardless of whether their team's in or not on, yeah. that, on that Sunday, most likely. Yeah, 100%. au to keep up to date, uh, keep on all the waffle socials as well. Optus Stadium to host the Optus Waffle Grand Final in 2021. It will start out with the reserves, the Simply uh, Waffle Reserves, then it will go to the Simply Energy Colts and then goes to the Optus Waffle League Grand Final, all taking place here at Optus Stadium. Good on you, Scotty. Appreciate your time. Anything else making news over there at the, at the Waffle that you need the listeners to know about? Anything of... Uh, of course, you've got our Waffle Women's uh, Final, preliminary final this weekend between Subiaco and Swans, I think, and the, the winner uh, of that goes to play Peel Thunder. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we had a couple of uh, close games on the weekend. Uh, unfortunately for the girls, the weather was, as you know, it was horrendous on Sunday, mm. and it's looking like it might be the same again this Sunday for them. So it could, could be another couple of low-scoring games. But um, yeah, Peel won their way through on the weekend, knocking off uh, off Swans, and then yeah, and then Subiaco beat Claremont. So they'll play Swans out of Bassendine on Sunday, and then the the winner of that will go through and play Peel down in uh, down in Mandra the week after, uh, which is uh, which is which is really exciting in the third year of the Waffle W. The uh, the, the talent that's coming through is quite frightening, really. It's it's really exciting. So hopefully on the on Grand Final day down in uh, Mandra we get a nice sunny day and um, the girls can really showcase their talent. Um, so that's uh, that's exciting. That's happening at the moment. And um, yeah, we're well, well and truly into our uh, boys. The girls' state academy programs are all sort of done and dusted now. Uh, the girls are. Um, doing all their combine training for the ones that have been selected at the moment, which will, which will roll into the AFLW draft at the end of uh, end of July. And then our, yeah, our Boys State Academy programs are well and truly underway at the moment. So plenty happening, mate. Good on you, mate. Appreciate your time. We'll keep in touch leading up to the Waffle Grand Final here at Optus Stadium. Thanks for joining us on Sporting Goss today. Thanks, Goss. Appreciate your support, mate. Yeah, good on you, mate. There's Scotty Baker, Executive Manager of Waffle and Football Operations out there at the WAFL. And it is exciting, and it doesn't matter who makes the grand final. I agree with Scotty. When I was growing up, it didn't matter who was in it. You came because you wanted to watch the Waffle grand final. And there's some dead set great talent up for grabs here in the Waffle still with futures on the AFL. We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Sporting Goss. Thanks for your company. Been a good one. Been a great show. Well done to Chris Clafuna, Special K producer, and Alex, who pushes all the buttons. Does a great job. And thank to all our guests and everyone who had input in our show. Tomorrow, William Pike. That's right. Willie Pike, champion jockey, will join us after 10.30. He's got nine rides across the road at Belmont. What will his best be? Every jockey or trainer has come on has ridden a winner. It pays to listen. Hashtag gamble responsibly. Brody Grundy, back for Collingwood. He will definitely play playing against the Dockers. That is a huge in for the Pies. Thanks for your company. Have a good one. Stay warm. Back on your radio tomorrow from 10. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.